to another podcast episode of Jabari VLC podcast and I have here my comrade good friend Chris Graffa um, who is a technologist and activist uh, wear many hats but we're going to talk about it. <laughs> yeah thanks for uh thanks for having me on Jamar I'm really excited to to be here I think uh, we've been talking about this for a while yes yes and this it's great to like have the opportunity to like Get, get get into your head a little bit because you you have so much knowledge about tech and everything and stuff like that and um you used to be on sputnik and, and give like little awesome tech um advice and stuff like that um is that still going on or no that's like going to a different platform. yeah no i'm still on uh sputnik i think I, you know you knew when i was on the show loud and clear with brian becker mm-hmm. which is yes. uh now on its own it's called the socialist program with Brian Becker. Um, but I had been a weekly guest when that was a, uh, Sputnik, uh, podcast and radio show. I'm now on every Tuesday on a show called by any means necessary, uh, okay. with our friends, Sean Blackman and, uh, Jacqueline Lukeman, uh, who are both based out of DC. And I'm on there, you know, around 15 minutes every Tuesday. Mm, okay. Awesome. Awesome. How, so first part, this is just the opener. How in, how did you get into this in, in with technology? Because <laughs> you know, explaining to someone like me, I'm just a simple guy that don't know anything about tech, and I just it freaks me out. JavaScript, all those type of things, I just don't know what is that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I started out. I mean, I was a kid in the '90s, right? I grew up. I'm a millennial, older older millennial. They call us, uh, born in '84. And so, you know, we got our first computer at home in the early 90s. And I was just, you know, curious and, you know, living kind of in a, you know, a busy, you know, busy city, but in the suburbs of that city uh, here in Connecticut, you know, I kind of just had a lot of time to play with this computer and learn it and and mess with it and try to learn how it worked. And I kind of got into it from there. And I, I, you know, learned how to write software. I learned how to, you know, fix issues um, and kind of got into it. I got into, you know, writing websites very early on in the, in the late nineties um, and, you know, got jobs in tech um, starting out with tech support for, you know, large companies started out doing some websites for folks. But what really I think got me interested in security uh, was, you know, I had always had a, a curiosity about it, but what really got me interested was the Edward Snowden revelations in 2013, mm. right? Mm. You know, I think, like, we knew, right? Like, there, there's always been this joke that, or this idea that Snowden confirmed what we all knew, that, mm. you know, the NSA was spying on literally everyone, um, taking in all of the information about our emails and calls and I had been active in the anti-war movement um, before that and in the kind of the civil rights movement as well. I had, you know, been uh, I've been an organizer with a group called the Answer Coalition um, since 2006. That organization formed, you know, um, to oppose the war in Afghanistan and later the war in Iraq. And I, I got really involved in that movement. Um, and part of that was the Patriot Act. Right. People might not even remember. It's 20 years now almost since the Patriot Act, which, you know, put all these uh, powers in the hands of the federal government and its various agencies in order to be able to basically spy on us, whether it was restricting financial transactions and the, you know, the reporting around those, or if it was, um, you know, giving, uh, giving the NSA and other intelligence agencies the ability to, to suck up our metadata. Um, that's what a lot of the Patriot Act was. And the more I learned about that, 
you know, in addition to what the U.S. was using 9-11 as an excuse to do in Afghanistan and Iraq, and then, of course, that expanded right. to Syria, Somalia, so many other countries, I began to see the connection between those two things, right? This national surveillance state here in the U.S. Um, is an integral part of this war machine uh, outside of the U.S. And so getting back to it, you know, after the Snowden stuff came out, um, you know, I really said I need to learn a lot more about this. I need to learn, you know, not just on the high level what this is all about, but additionally learn, like, what, what, what happens here? Like, what? How do we fight back against this? What are we doing to 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 struggle for our privacy rights as we're fighting for you know an end to the wars overseas? Mm. Mm. Yeah, that Snowden that Snowden leak was very very. Um, it, that was just insane. I think that just opened up everyone's eyes. Um, mm-hmm. Even people that probably like felt that. Oh, there's no way the government's doing this. There's no way. Like, why would they do that? That goes against our trust. Like, people that actually really trust government, you know? And it just goes to show, like, from that on, it's just like, wow, this is really a thing that they made legal and went behind the backs um, of everyday Americans and just stored all this data without our consent. And it's like, why? Why do you need all that? Why do you need all that? And and, you know, actually, like you said, 9-11 is what gave them the, I guess, excuse for them to feel justified by it. But seriously, like, no, it, there was no point for all that. <laughs> I mean, 9-11 was certainly the excuse that gave them the, the justification to do it at such a broad scale. But it had been happening for a long time before that. I mean, we can go back to, you know, the 1950s uh, and a program called Echelon which is uh, basically um, the Five Eyes countries. So it's the U.S., the U.K., Canada, Australia, and New Zealand agreed to work together to spy on the Soviet Union and the Eastern Bloc and tried to intercept all the communications going in and out of the USSR and, uh, and its you know, friendly countries in the Eastern Bloc. Um, and that of course, got, you know, from for people who were Americans, you know, that were visiting or communicating, that information got sucked up there too. Uh, Echelon was really a precursor in some ways to the surveillance, the international surveillance that happens now. And the Five Eyes is still a, a, a group that's in existence. They still do spying together and, of course, sometimes spying on each other. We know the U.S. often spies on friendly countries as well. Um, in the 19... 19- Late 1980s, early 1990s, the uh, Drug Enforcement Administration, the DEA, actually got approval and started running a program that basically sucked up all of the call information about anyone who was targeted in the U.S. in a drug-related case by the DEA, but also the people that they talked to and the people that those people talked to. So it effectively said, if I called you, Jamar, if I'm under investigation for, you know, by the DEA for, you know, running drugs, and I called you, then you're also part of that investigation now. But everyone you call is also part of that investigation now. Right. So it goes down a few rings. And this was similar to what the NSA later on was doing. So the DEA was doing that. That was under George H.W. Bush and then Bill Clinton. Um, And it started with Attorney General William Barr. He was attorney, uh, you know, attorney general at the time. And of course, came back under Trump. You know, William Barr is no friend of privacy rights whatsoever. So this goes back certainly a long time. uh, This whole idea of the government spying on people inside and outside of the U.S. But it really was just kicked into overdrive uh, with the Patriot Act and the national security state uh, apparatus that developed uh, in the aftermath of 9-11. Right. And the Patriot Act is still active, right? Much of it. Yeah. Much of it still is. Uh, You know, there have been some sections of it that have sunsetted. They had dates that they said either there has to be uh, renewed by this day or it isn't active. Um, You know, some of the programs just don't exist anymore, but we don't know about the programs that have replaced them. Right. So the idea that. Right. So, you know, for example, uh, the NSA used to, they said they have now stopped collecting metadata about all of our phone calls. And let's talk about metadata is not the content of the call, but who the parties on the call are, when it happened, how long it was. 
So it's not the call itself, but the information about the call. And that's enough to, you know, really create and view patterns between people. So looking at the, you know, look, looking at that program, it has apparently been sunsetted. It does not exist anymore, but it turns out that it was because it cost a whole lot of money and didn't get them many results. So they didn't sunset it. They would have fought to keep it if it were effective for them. Hmm. That's interesting. That's interesting. I wish they would like try that with, you know, healthcare and stuff like that. Like, oh, let's just try it out. Let's put this money in, see how it goes, and do a report after a year or so, mm-hmm. you know? Like <laughs> so so okay. So now that we, we know all this information, I guess the first question is to ask, how do we as Americans protect ourselves? from these kind of entities? Is it, is it a possible way or is there no hope they always will have a back door to get in through? No, I mean, it's it's like the fight against the state now. It's like the fight against police terror, like the fight against, you know, economic repression and political repression and violence. You know, it always seems like they're too big, right? They have too much power. But ultimately, you know, there are steps you can take to protect yourself. But the most effective thing is actually going to be mass joint struggle for our civil liberties to say that, you know what, we together are opposed to the idea of the NSA, the FBI, whoever having access to our emails, having access to our phone records, or, um, you know, and we haven't even gotten into the connection yet with private companies that the, these right. government agencies are really relying on, but that's a whole, you know, topic. And I'm hopefully, you know, hopefully we can talk about that today as well. Um, you know, it's mass movements. So yeah, there, there are things you, you should do to protect yourself without a doubt, but uh, doing that without looking at the big picture of being able to end this national security state and everything that's associated with it uh, is something that we need to, you know, we need to also build. So, how do I put this? Um, so when you say private companies, you're talking about Google, you're talking about Facebook, you're talking about um, Twitter, you're talking about um, what's another private company that's social media? Uh, Reddit. Is Reddit a part of this as well? Like, are yeah. you collecting data and everything? Reddit, Microsoft, Apple, Yahoo, all right. of them. And, and and this is a commodity that no one knew that is an actual commodity that could exist. Like, it's like a big business that no one just ever knew, right? Like, they're, well, they're essentially making money off of our searches and also mm-hmm. controlling. Right. So these businesses that we rely on, and let's focus on a few of the biggest ones, right? Okay. Uh, and in a specific class. So Google, Facebook, Twitter... Um, you know, f- focusing on, on those primarily, that type of uh, you know, Reddit now as well is, is one of them. Um, they're data companies. Google is not a search engine or email company. They're an advertising company. Facebook isn't a social network. Uh, Reddit is not a social network or message board. These are all data companies. And the way they, and because they're all advertising companies, and they say, particularly the big ones, Facebook and Google. And let's remember, Facebook owns WhatsApp. It owns Instagram. Um, you know, Google owns YouTube. Um, there are, you know, so many big ones here that they collect information on us whether we know we're giving it to them or not. Okay, you can hit like on a page and then you know everyone knows that I like this podcast. That's one right. thing. Or I like a certain article that a friend shared. That's another thing. But they also take signals like how much are you engaging with articles about specific topics? Are you are they also looking at are you angry about a certain thing? Are you happy about a certain thing? What do your comments look like? How much time are you spending engaging with or, or posting about, I don't know, your the, the boots you got to go hiking? Well, they can take that and say and infer, oh, well, I'm interested in hiking then. And all of a sudden, you're going to start getting ads for, you know, camping tents and, you know, thermoses and whatnot and all the other stuff you need to, you know, go backpacking, right? Um, right, right. So they... they, they collect all of this data and the way they get this information is that they give us a place to engage. And this is where really the, the how dangerous, especially social media, Facebook, Twitter, you know, as the, as the big ones, um, Facebook is significantly larger 
than Twitter is. Uh, you know, Instagram, I believe, is larger than Twitter alone. But they're so dangerous because they trick us. They give us that 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 dopamine shot every time we get that notification that somebody liked our post. You know, you right. post something and then you leave the app, and two seconds later, you you open it up again. Um, to see if anyone's liked it or commented or shared. I mean, we all do. I've done that. I do it all the time. I admit it. And I'm fully aware of what these companies are doing to us in terms of engagement. And I think it's, you know, they are a real social harm instead of a social good. There's mm. also studies about how Facebook particularly um, is bad. And Instagram, Facebook and Instagram are bad for teenage girls in terms of body image. But yeah. that's a whole, a whole movie about that. Yeah. And so... The way these companies, you know, then work with the government is that they've got all this data. They've got us on there posting and messaging and liking stuff. Um, and then they're using that to profile us to sell our information to advertisers. And I'm not saying that they sell information on Jamar or Chris. They're selling, you know, it's not like, oh, Chris, this, this, then this, right? You know, this is their interests. What they do is they, they let the advertiser say, I want to target people, you know, 18 to 40 years old who are interested in this topic, who live in, you know, New Haven, Connecticut, or the wider, you know, area. And so that's how they actually let the advertisers target you. Um, other companies do, in fact, just sell like, okay, Chris has this interest in this active and, and all of that. And that's a whole, this data broker concept as well. But now they've got all this information about us. They've got all of our messages. They've got the history of who we're in touch with. And so that's where the government gets curious. And the government comes in and says, well, this is really interesting. So give us access to this. And they have to say yes, right? These companies can't say no because the Why? connection, well, the connection goes two ways, right? So, you know, the government, the, you know, Congress, the, you know, the, the, the presidency, the White House, you know, the whole, the, the departments, they all exist effectively when it comes down to it to protect the system and that system now is capitalism right so all of these things exist to protect capitalism and tech is the you know this booming area of capitalism and so they need these companies the, these companies have to be on their side but the companies also have to be in a sense on the government side in the sense that they need the government to not regulate them you know, they need the government to, you know, be like kind of let them do their thing so that they can continue to make greater and greater profits. Mm. Um, and of course, just like there is, you know, there, there are arguments and differences between elements of the ruling class, between Republicans and Democrats, between wings of the Democratic Party itself or the Republican Party and whatnot. You know, these companies, it's not like the government says, you know, jump and the companies jump or vice versa. They have their arguments and we've seen those play out. But the big picture here is that these companies and the government have this coexistence and rely on each other. And so when the government says, hey, give us information, let us in here for national security reasons, um, you know, let us just do keyword searches on all of your stuff that, you know, Facebook's going to say, yeah, sure. No problem. Wow. Wow. And so in a way, what we're seeing is they don't even need the NSA anymore. They just they just go to these companies and get whatever they need at this point. And your messages aren't private, especially your Facebook messenger, right? Those aren't private. They can they can get those out, pull them whenever they need them. Even if you delete them, right? You can't even even if you delete them, they can still pull those, right? Yeah, I wouldn't trust any of these messaging services, right? So there is something called end-to-end -end encryption, which means that only the, the people involved in the conversation can ever see the contents of the conversation. Um, WhatsApp has a form of that. Messenger has a form of it. But the problem is that they still have metadata. They still store who you're talking to, how often you're talking, how many messages you're sending back and forth when you're having these conversations. And right. so they can still use that even if they don't have the content of the message. Um, you know, this is why I, you know, and I've gotten you to use it, right? This app called Signal, right? Yeah. All Signal knows about you is that your phone number has an account with that service and the last time it connected to the Signal service. They don't know who you're talking to, when you're talking to them, what you're talking about. 
they don't store and can't store anything like that. So even if they don't have access to the messages themselves, having the metadata about these connections, these you know communications is extremely uh, valuable to them. And so it's not that the NSA doesn't even need to exist. The NSA exists to coordinate all these things because you're not going to have Google and Facebook uh, and, you know, and Twitter all sit down in a room together necessarily and be like, all right, let's just, you know, here's all our information. Here's all your information. And let's, you know, give it all to the FBI or to whoever. The NSA, you know, in one sense, and we saw this with, um, you know, with X Keyscore and Prism, uh, which were the, you know, some of the systems that Snowden exposed. Um, you know, the, the NSA said, all right, give us access to all these things. We're going to uh, pull it together. We're going to be able to search it. We're going to analyze it and all of that. The NSA also uh, actually is, you know, the NSA primarily is involved overseas, not in the United States itself. Uh, oh, really? and in fact, it, I yes. They were in Washington. Well, they are. They're based in the U.S., of course. Uh-huh. Uh, but they are, you know, their primary mission is overseas intelligence. Um, and so, you know, it's similar to the CIA in a sense, right? They're not right. supposed to be really working here, but, you know, right. uh, there's in a, in, a, in a global world, global communications and global production, it is impossible to say we're only targeting X, Y, or Z. So example, the NSA is collecting web traffic information or email information, right, from only people outside of the U.S. Well, if that email is sent to somebody in the U.S. or from somebody in the U.S. outside the country. That's one thing. You know, that's going to get caught up in there. If it goes through a a server in the U.S. on its way somewhere else, that Mm -hmm. also counts. So it's impossible, actually, just to do that. But the NSA does a lot of other types of spying. Um, The NSA has a series of tools that they build uh, to basically hack other organizations, computers, people, governments, whoever. Um, and these are offensive weapons. These are weapons yeah. that, you know, they are cyber weapons. Um, yeah. You know, and the NSA does this, the CIA does this as well. A number of years ago, uh, the CIA was uh, exposed in something called the Vault 7. This is uh, from WikiLeaks. People can go, look, just Vault 7. And the CIA had lost control of a number of the 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 tools that it had to attack not just phones and computers, but stuff like smart TVs, cars, all of that. Smart yes. TVs? Smart TVs. Cars? Cars. So like if I had a Tesla, my Tesla is under threat to be hacked by the CIA. Uh, I mean, that gets, you know, I, this was in 2017, right? So we don't yeah. even know what they have yeah. now. We can oh, only assume. Okay. <laughs> um on a side note, though, we do know that a lot of these, you know, internet-enabled cars, Tesla, yeah. even, you know, just, you know, modern Jeeps, Chryslers, whoever, uh, there are security issues in these cars, you know, and it's scary, right, to think that your car could be hacked. But researchers have actually shown, and they've demonstrated on uh, safe, you know, they've done this in a safe way, right? They had a closed track. You know, they had a guy driving a, a I think it was a Jeep, uh, and he was driving it like 70 miles an hour, and then they shut down uh, the engine on him what? remotely. Remotely. Not even your cars are safe. Not even your car is safe, right? So, but, so the NSA, Jesus. similar to the CIA, right? The NSA right. does this too. And the NSA also lost uh, lost control of some of its tools when it was hacked by a, shoot, a group called the Shadow Brokers. And no one knows who the Shadow Brokers are. No right. one has any idea. But then that gets into a situation where like, all right, the way the NSA and the CIA and also, I mean, other states do this too. It's not just the U.S. Other states do this. Private companies do this, like the NSO group uh, and many others. They all do this. They, they do research and they poke and prod at software that we're using in our everyday lives. Microsoft Windows, Apple's iOS, all of these things. And they try to find bugs in them that they can then take advantage of these bugs to get into the phone or computer or server or whatnot. Now, there's a whole realm of experts, security researchers, who also do this. But then they go to the manufacturer and they say, hey, Apple, hey, Microsoft, hey, you know, whoever. Uh, we found this issue in your system. We're going to give you 90 days to fix it before we talk about it. Uh, and that's called responsible disclosure. 
you find an issue and you privately, quietly report it to the company so that they can then go fix it. And that's why we get all these software updates on our phone, right? You know, you, you always get that, that, that update. It's like, oh, this is, you know, iOS 14.8 is out, you know, and it's a lot of it is security issues. Yeah, there's new features sometimes too, and that's good, but a lot of it is security issues. And that's why I always encourage people, you know, update, you know, nearly as soon as you can, especially for these smaller updates. And, you know, it's a pain. Everyone knows it's a pain. Uh, You got to charge your phone, you got to have Wi Fi, all that, but you got to do it because these companies aren't going back to Apple and Microsoft and these government agencies particularly aren't going back to Microsoft and Apple and Google and saying, Hey, y'all, we found a, we found a bug that could be taken that somebody could use to take over, you know, one of your devices. Uh, they, instead they hold it close to the chest and they say, all right, good. We've got this. Now, how do we weaponize this? Mm. And that's, that's the scary thing, right? Well, the other issue is that if, the NSA finds this or some just random group in, you know, some country somewhere else, you know, just a non-military, non-government people. If they find it, that doesn't stop anyone else from finding it at the same time. Um, you know, right. they could they could be finding, you know, multiple people could be finding the same bug. And so with the NSA and, and other organizations and private companies not reporting these issues, they actually make all of us more insecure um, because if the company hasn't been aware of it, then they can't fix it. Wow. Okay. <laughs> wow. Um, a lot. A lot of people. A lot of people. Though I'm not. I talk. I'm very talkative. But uh, Chris, they have. They have me very speechless right now. All right. So. Okay. So this is this is insane. This is insane. Because I'm thinking in my head how I had to update my laptop three times this week. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why the fuck do I need to update my laptop three times this week? I, it's getting on my nerves. It's literally like, oh, would you like to reset and update? And then I'm like, okay, reset and update. The next day. Hold on one second. Got a sound. Sorry. No problem. <laughs> You're good, babe. Well, and um, yeah, like re-update. And I'm just like, bro, like, I don't need to do all this. This is, but now you're you're telling me that they're they're basically finding all these bugs and stuff that can like harm our security. So if I have McAfee, am, am I still basically like like at risk being hacked or just being spied on? Like, is there any point to have a McAfee? Like, oh, absolutely. <laughs> There's there no having antivirus software is, is important. Um, you know, you want to run antivirus software on your Mac or, com- or Windows computer, run it on your Android phone. Um, if you have an iPhone, actually very important to know this. If you have an iPhone, don't install antivirus software because it actually can't work the way that you think traditional antivirus software works. Uh, oh. It's not necessarily dangerous, but the way iPhones are set up, they can't actually, an app from the App Store can't scan the whole system for a virus. Um, so they're, I don't want to say that they're all scams, but I think they're misleading, but anyway, you want to have antivirus software on your devices for sure. You want to, you know, have that, um, that, and that gets into this idea of, you know, different levels of threats, right? So yes, there's the NSA and the CIA and MI6 and Mossad and, you know, all of these, you know, intelligence agencies that are coming after us, right? Mm -hmm. Or coming after some people and putting the rest of us at risk. That's certainly the case. There are companies like the NSO group that do this kind of research into vulnerabilities and then hold on to them uh, and don't share it and then use that to sell, you know, the NSO group has been in the news recently. They sell their software called Pegasus to to governments like the Mexican government, to Saudi Arabia, to the UAE and others um, who then use it to hack the government, you know, the phones of civil rights activists and journalists, and in many cases get them killed. Um, So there's that. But then there's also just like the people who are looking to scam, not even you specifically, but just scam somebody. Um, there are, you know, there's this phenomenon right now called ransomware. And what happens is, you know, you get your, your computer or your network, if you're a business infected and you get this message that says all of your files have been encrypted. You have to pay us, you know, five Bitcoin 
in order to get it, um, you know, to get your files back. We're going to give you a special token or key or piece of software to get your files back, but you have to pay us 10 Bitcoin, right? That's a lot of money right now. That's, I mean, that's $400,000, I think, yeah. right now, uh, something yeah. like that. There's a, as we're speaking on the 20th, there's a little dip in Bitcoin. So, uh, you know, it's hard to keep up with. But this is, um, you know, that's how ransomware works. And that can hit, you know, just your home computer. That has also hit schools, private businesses, it has hit hospitals. And in those situations, it spreads across those networks. So in fact, it's not just the receptionist computer that that gets the ransomware, but, you know, it could be the servers that are in charge of tracking patient data or student records, in fact. And that's dangerous. And so having, you know, having some some uh, malware detection, vir- you know, antivirus on your uh, personal devices, that can be very important and that can help. And just having some, you know, some good practices in terms of not opening strange links or strange attachments, um, right. that's also, you know, part of the way to address this. And when you get into the larger enterprises, schools, hospitals, corporations, there's stuff that you can do that your IT department can do on the network level to also protect you. So, okay. So what is, what is like some good examples? Uh, so, because I'm thinking, of, so with, with the strange email, so if it's like something that's worded like, check this out for a new reward, is it is it something on, on those levels, like some type of clickbait, like it's like, oh, you almost won the lottery, or could it be, I don't know, say somebody, because you know, everybody likes to go on Pornhub, so, you know, Pornhub tracks your uh, your emails, so you you. Well, I don't know if they track your emails, but Pornhub tracks your data. I, I can imagine as well too, since it's like a very big site, right? Mm-hmm. So you get so say some person has like an email that's so random that goes, "Oh, check this out," um, like a, a nice, sexy, I don't know, <laughs> some subject or something like that. Is it is it like something like 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 that? How they try to catch you? basically with these emails? I mean, there's a few different types of attack here, right? So there's there's phishing. We've all, I think, heard of phishing. And that's where somebody just sends out, you know, thousands or millions of emails to every email address they can find, or they just make them up, you know, we're just, it's just numbers and letters and stuff. And they send it out and say, you know, for example, uh, you're, you know, here's your new bill, you know, or, you know, there's an issue with your Gmail account. And they, and they, you click it and, you know, it's supposed to be, you know, the Gmail login. I actually just recently wrote about this on techforthepeople.org. I took one of these apart and looked Mm -hmm. at how it worked, right? And it basically created a fake page that looked like the Gmail homepage, uh, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't. And so when you tried to log into it, it sent your name and password out to this fake server somewhere else and then redirected you back to Gmail. So you wouldn't even know that you messed up. Right. Yes, exactly. So that's one. That's one. And then they can take over your email address and, you know, send spam to other people because you trust the emails more if they look like they've come from a friend. Right. Right, Um, You know, others might have an attachment on them that if you click it, if you open it, even though it might look like a picture or a PDF, it actually could be something else or it could be a, a PDF or a picture that takes advantage of one of these security holes. Uh, and in fact, that's how the NSO group uh, worked in some of their most recent versions of Pegasus, is that they would text a, um, a PDF or an image to the to the victim, and there was just a, a bug in the way that Apple's phones handled certain types of attachments, and they figured it out, and then they used that to get in control. So sometimes you don't need, you know, if you open this attachment, sometimes you don't even have to open it for it to take you know, this to take effect. Um, but so never open up attachments that are strange. If you're not expecting an invoice, you know, right. then don't open that invoice file, right? right, um, right. If you're not expecting, you know, a UPS package, don't open that. I, in right. fact, I've been getting text messages over the last week from AT&T, pretending, we'll just mm-hmm. say, to be from AT&T. Uh, mm-hmm. And they are saying things like, apologies for the coverage issues on September 12th. Here's a symbolic gift. Uh, I'm, I'm literally looking, you know, one right now. And it has the name Gene in it. So, like, clearly not a, you know, not my name. Uh, I'm not Gene. I'm not Alice. Gene. I'm not any of these other ones that have been <laughs> sent, right? Uh, so but I'm weird. seeing this stuff, right? So, like, 
don't click on that link. Like, just do not click that link. Right in that text message um you know one of the you know first of all it's like why is it from some random phone number uh instead of you know at&t's you know number um and they even consider do you even have (laughs) at&t if you don't you definitely don't want to click on that also you know at&t is never going to send you a gift for uh, for out for outages they're going to make you call them and fight them to get reimbursed for that right and i keep getting t-mobile gifts through texas it's like, so that's click yeah. on this, blah blah blah. I'm like, no, I'm not clicking on this. Like, right, is, don't click every, on almost every week. I get one, yep. almost every week. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> and another thing that I've noticed, um, Facebook Messenger, when you're saying like they'll like disguise as your friends, I've noticed on Facebook Messenger, like, sometimes like it'll be like periodically, maybe once every six months, somebody that I know. Will message me and they tried to like you know ask me about like do, do you want to make this certain amount of money or do you want to like make do you want to like um sign up for this type of like uh um the, the, like the covet mask mask grants and all that, mm-hmm. stuff like that 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 that's what i've been asked from uh from from gary winfield once uh. <laughs> they're like this is not gary winfield <laughs> Like, how do they do that? How do they literally, like, use your friend's personal um, messenger and talk on it? And then it's like, poof, they're gone. It's like a ghost. Just Yeah. Well, that's the thing, is that there's two kind of two different situations that could be happening here. The first is that you often see people create fake accounts with the same profile picture, the same name as one of your friends. And they go through that friend's friend list and try to add all of them. And they might say, oh, I can't get into my old account. This is my new account. Can you help me with some money? Can you, you know, anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. And so you should always try to, you know, contact that old account, right? And find out, like, or if you know your friend's phone number or email or whatever, you should always try to get in touch with them, right? And be like, hey, is this legitimately you or or not? Um, right. The other thing, I mean, yeah, like if you if somebody gets into your Facebook account because they figured out your password or your password is included in a data breach um, or, you know, they, you know, convinced you to install some software that was able to take over your web browser and your, your Facebook account. I mean, that's another way that they can do that on somebody's real account. So that's why you should always be safe with your passwords. You know, you should always use a different password for every account, make it as long as possible um, and then use something called two-factor authentication. That's when you get that text message or you have to open an app on your phone in order to you know, put, on, put in a second code to get into the app. That protects 95% of these types of attacks where somebody is just trying to get into your wow, account. 95? Wow. About that, yeah. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, because that, that's, a, that's a thing I've, I've noticed going on. And um, because I haven't seen any weird emails, think, God, because I used to see them, but mm-hmm. I remember seeing those like years ago. Um, so like even so, okay, so you said so you so you already said one one great way is to protect yourself is to use a very giant password, um, which is what I do as well. And then I, I think I learned the, the two the two point authentication from you, um, mm-hmm. authentication from you as well. Um, that's why I actually I don't. Um, when I use the new iPhone, I, I always upgrade with like the special edition because the special different edition keeps the thumb pad for mm-hmm. for like uh, your, your fingerprint and stuff like that. I feel like that's so much safer, isn't it? In a way, because like your face, facial recognition is safe, right? <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> let's all right, let's talk about biometrics. So, biometrics is measuring stuff like your thumbprint, you're just doing facial recognition. Um, biometrics can me- is you know, can measure many, many things about you. Uh, but when we're talking about our phones or our computers, the idea of unlocking it with a face print or a thumbprint, um, you know, it's actually very convenient for sure, right? Uh, and, you know, some people do use it. But the problem with that is, particularly for people who are who have to deal with law enforcement often or are around law enforcement or might just have their phones stolen uh, from them, you know, and be targeted, is that... Um, police particularly can get into, can force you to unlock your phone with your thumb or your face. They legally can force you to do that. They oh, I cannot. Just your face. I didn't think no, it was your thumb, 
thumb or face. They cannot, though, under the Fifth Amendment, make you type a password in. Okay. So that's a really important thing to keep in mind if you're going to be around police, if you're an activist, if you're a member of an oppressed group, (laughs) or you live in a neighborhood that is occupied with a heavy police presence. um, You know, you need to keep in mind that if they they arrest you and they they they're questioning you, whatever they can say, unlock your phone, put look at it, put your thumbprint on it. Uh, and you can't legally, um, you know, deny that. But you can claim your Fifth Amendment right to say, no, I'm not putting my my pass- password in. I'm not typing my password. Mm. Mm. Okay. Okay. That's that's dope. That's dope. Um, it makes a lot more sense because it's a code. Um, I always, I literally was thinking that the fingerprint was safe. So regardless of whatever kind of phone, I just need to have a password. <laughs> and I should say, you know, that, that interpretation is, is changing slightly. So the reason that the, your, your, um, the reason that your password that you'd have to type in is considered covered under the fifth amendment is that it's testimony. It's something that you know, and they, can't compel you to testify or incriminate against or incriminate yourself. Um, Now there's been, you know, questions about, well, biometrics when it comes to unlocking a phone effectively do the same thing. And some courts have ruled in favor of that interpretation. Some courts have not. Um, They've ruled against that interpretation. So to be safe, I would say just avoid, if you're going to be around police or law enforcement, avoid having any kind of biometrics on your phone. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a big deal. I think that, that everyone should know that, um, especially, especially you know, people of color and, and um, like you said, the people that are part of press groups that should definitely know that because that is going to save you a lot, especially like don't. Like especially the the whole messenger thing as well, no talking on messenger, that's such a big deal as well too. Um, these are great ways. Are there any other tips to like protect yourself that you would recommend? Um, I, I mean, I'll I'll get into you know just just in terms of you know being safe on the web. You know, just uh, try to you know avoid clicking sh- sketchy links, right? Um, especially some of the ads on some shadier types of sites. You know, mm-hmm. really could, you know, that could infect your computer, your, even your phone uh, with some sort of malware, be it a virus, ransomware, or something else. Mm-hmm. Um, don't respond to phishing emails and scams like that, too. Um, you know, if they say they have information about you, you know, first of all, the IRS is never going to call, text, or email you. They're going to send you mail, right? Yeah. Like, if you've ever yeah. dealt with the IRS, <laughs> they will send you mail or you have to call them. Um right. You know, so and certainly none of these companies are ever going to demand payment in iTunes or Amazon gift cards. That's a common scam we see, by the way, is, you know, your car, a car company or, you know, the IRS saying, you know, if you don't get, you know, you're going to be under arrest. We're going to send the police to your location right now unless you buy me five thousand dollars in Amazon gift cards. I mean, that just it doesn't work like that, first of all. So, you know, don't fall for scams like that. Oh my god! Like there's scams like that. It was like, oh, you got to buy five thousand Amazon. Oh yeah, and unfortunately, <laughs> you know, people are afraid of losing right. their car, their home, their you know, their their liberty. Literally, I mean, in terms of going to jail, you know, if the IRS says you know you're going to jail, which you know it takes a lot for them to do that to you. Um, yeah. You know, you really have to be avoiding them and owe them a lot of money, but still. You know, the idea that the people are terrified, there's also very, you know, I get these voicemails every so often in Chinese, and I've looked this up, and it's actually a scam against, uh, that's against Chinese migrants, telling them, um, basically, you need to call us and pay this money to be able to stay in the country. It's a complete scam. So we see these scams via text message, we see them um, on, you know, email, Facebook messenger, you know, uh, phone calls, all of that. Um, the other thing I would say, too, I've wow. seen a lot of this recently, um, on on Twitter and Instagram in particular, if you type out, you know, my account got hacked, you are very likely to have bots replying to you immediately, saying things like, oh, my account was hacked, too, and, you know, I 
did research and found this person who helped get me access to my account. And they link that person's, you know, Twitter or Instagram. And they say they're a master and they can get it for you at a good price. Those mm. people can't do anything. They're just going to take your money and maybe even take over your account. They're not actually going to be able to get your Instagram or Twitter account back. That's not possible for somebody outside of those companies to do in the vast majority of cases. Wow. Right. You have to go through the process the company has set up. So that's another common scam that we're seeing. And I've also seen the, um, the those bots are crazy. Like they're, some sometimes they'll even like advertise like a new movie that came out or something. Mm -hmm. And then like there was one thing because I, when I uh, did an interview for Entrepreneur and put up the tags and all stuff like that, they were like, oh, um dm this to so and so or dm this to so and so and it's like and then they're like oh pay this much money to promote um it's like wow like they're really like hustlers out there where are you gonna put who is getting this money these are these just like people that runs all these bots that are basically making cash off of all these bots like that's just so sophisticated like i could never understand how they do that yeah, I mean, it doesn't cost a lot of money to, to run some of this stuff, you know? Oh, wow. It doesn't cost a lot of money to send out millions of emails. And all you need is one or two people to respond to them and fall for the scam, mm -hmm. you know, to make thousands of dollars. And you can send out millions of emails in seconds. Wow. So it doesn't cost a lot. Um, if you're in a country that, you know, maybe doesn't have a strong, you know, police uh, force or, or federal law enforcement or is just busy dealing with other stuff, frankly, mm -hmm. then, you know, you're not likely to be found or caught. Um, they may not mm -hmm. want to, you know, deal with the FBI if the victim is in the U.S., for example, uh, but the perpetrator is is outside of the U.S., you know, so there's it's it's generally low risk and high reward. Even if 99.9% .9 of people don't engage with your scam, it only takes a few to do it. Mm -hmm. Do you know anything about like how the algorithm works in that, in that way? Well, so algorithms are just as a series of instructions, right? They're mm -hmm. a series of instructions that you give to a computer to make it do what you want it to do. Think of it like a recipe for making cake, right? You, you're reading this algorithm of instructions, you know, get your, I've actually never made a cake. I don't know, flour, <laughs> van vanilla, um, whatever, whatever else is, is involved in, in making it, right? Uh, yeah. You know, I, mean, I made meatballs yesterday, so maybe that's better. You know, you get the meat, you get your right. eggs, you get your, you know, your onions and all of that stuff, right? And mix them together and you do it this way. So an algorithm is just a way to tell a computer to do something. Now, when we get into social media, right, we talk about the algorithm on social media, you know, and, and it's kind of in a, a, a vague way. And I think it's a little in, you know, kind of in jest, right? Um, you know, Facebook's timeline algorithm, right? They, have an, they do have a set, a, a system that determines what you're seeing on your timeline. Right. They figure out, OK, this is what Jamar wants to see uh, on, on the timeline, in addition to the ads that we are showing Jamar, that we have promised these companies that we're going to show Jamar. And the whole goal of it is to keep you engaged with Facebook and keep you on that page and scrolling or refreshing that timeline. Right. Mm -hmm. um, YouTube is another example. YouTube's recommendation algorithm is notoriously bad. I mean, you can go from pretty much any political topic to straight up neo-Nazi white nationalism in like five different, five videos, uh, if you're not oh, yeah. careful. Oh, you know, yeah. So, oh, yeah. but I've yeah. noticed that hundreds of times. Jeez. Absolutely. <laughs> and then if you, if you accidentally click one of those, you're like, oh, what is this? I don't even know. Or I want to see what kind of junk they're showing me. Right, you know, right. you're in it deep, right? Yeah. All of these algorithms are tuned uh, to be to keep you engaged, to keep you whether it's happy or angry or whatever, but to keep your emotions up so you don't get bored. I mean, TikTok, right? Just video after video after video after video and on and on and on. And all of a sudden, it's been four hours. It's three in the morning. You were trying to go to bed at 11 and you're like, oh, I got to be up for work in three hours, right? That's how they, but they, that's how they get you. And think about how many ads you saw in that time 
Yeah. And TikTok do, doesn't just say, oh, give me a whole bunch of random videos. They try to say, yeah. all right, what's popular? Do they know who you are? Like in terms of have you had an account for a while and you engage with stuff? Not just liking and commenting and following creators, but what kind of stuff do you watch five times in a row versus right. what kind of stuff do you skip in the first second, right? They track all of these things to keep you engaged. And so their algorithm for that isn't just saying, give me, give me 40 random videos to show Jamar. It's saying, what is Jamar like? What has Jamar done? Or if we don't know, let's say you're a new user, what's been super popular with people? And, you know, we can infer from your location mm. who, you know, general age, income, you know, income bracket, uh, look, you know, your location information, all of that. What's been popular with people in this area who fit this kind of demographic profile? Oh, my. Yeah. And I can see that because, you know, my thing is, um, to pass time when I'm at work, um, I, I listen to like uh, like podcasts, and a lot of times whenever I'm on YouTube, which I got to stop doing, I'm just gonna stay on Spotify. I ended up just listening to one podcast about this mobster, and then I hear then, then it literally showed the bomb another podcast about this mobster, then another interview about this mobster. I'm just like you, you're I literally go down the rabbit hole and learn about all these mm-hmm. different mafia guys within five hours of your shift. So that could be great, <laughs> right? That could be great for somebody who's trying. You know, the internet has this vast wealth of information, and then like right. the idea that you can go deep into any topic and learn something, I think, is really significant, and it's good. It's the way that we don't understand how these systems work. They are run by private companies who have a profit motive first and foremost. Uh, They want to make their money and they're going to do whatever they can to us to get that money. And so the idea that YouTube could show you, you know, or or, or any service could show you stuff that you're interested in, that you're going to learn about, that you're curious about, that's really actually cool. It's how are they taking advantage of us? financially, emotionally, physically, what are the effects on us of the way these systems run? That's what we need to be concerned about. You know, ultimately, I think we need to nationalize companies like Facebook. I don't want to shut Facebook down. I want to nationalize it under and have it under, you know, community control so that we control who, what, what is being shown and why things are being shown. Right. We control, you know, how this new town green is being used because we use it to connect with each other. I mean, I think we all know throughout this whole pandemic, we've stayed in touch via social media. And Facebook is by far in the U.S. the most widely used social media platform by far, you know, leagues ahead of Twitter and and, and others. And so I don't want to shut Facebook down. There's a lot of people out there who say shut Facebook down. I say no. Nationalize it. Run it transparently. Mm hmm. And, and you know, with nationalizing, that means that the, this whole, like, banning of banning of people's uh, accounts and stuff. Like, for instance, for me, I am all, I get banned all the time. And now I'm on another 30-day ban, um, which is just insane. I think it's because of the – I don't think there's a person that's watching me. I think it's the algorithm that's set up to watch what I do now since I've been banned a few times, right? Like, that's how it there's, – There's a combination – there's a combination, you know, people could be reporting your content or right. their automated systems could be flagging it. Um, you know, ultimately there usually is a person involved uh, that is reviewing these things and they have a very specific set of rules that they have to go by, whether they personally agree or not, they have mm-hmm. to go by them. These workers, by the way, are often making a few dollars an hour and they're in places like the Philippines. Um, you know, there is, you know, an entire imperialist issue here with the the way that these that Facebook and other companies deal with content moderation. Um, and I have a, a great person you should have on, uh, our friend uh, Ray Hereza, who uh, wrote their doctoral thesis on this, actually. Uh, and so that would be, you know, uh, it's a really interesting subject to talk about how content moderation is actually done, not just by machines, but by laborers who are making very little money and in these really poor conditions, because they have to see not just, you know, uh, people talking junk on social media, but they have to see some of the worst of the worst violence, um, you know, child sexual abuse materials, things like that, you know, beheading videos. And 
you know, take that stuff down and they get very little support from the companies because they are subcontractors. They don't work for Facebook. They work for companies like Accenture uh, in Dude. order to do that. So getting back to it though, you know, you're some, there probably was a human involved in you getting a 30 day Facebook ban at some point. Um, but unfortunately that human is probably not making a whole lot of money and has no power to say, I disagree with Jamar getting banned for 30 days. Oh my, what? Mm-hmm. You just dropped a nuke on me real quick. <laughs> oh man, Chris, this is crazy. You mean the dick? So, so all right. You mean, so? What? What are the ages you're saying? Like, are you saying between like? Are you talking about like ten year olds that are seeing this con- this type of content in the Philippines, for example, to all uh, the way up to like full grown, like maybe the 20, 30 years old, or like? I think it's all legal working age adults in general. Okay. Um, and it's not just in the Philippines, it's also in Ireland. There are some places in Texas, for example, that this happens. Right. Um, but yeah. And they have to sit down because I always, I always wonder how are they able to monetize? Because before I remember earlier, or maybe it's because I have adjusted my, uh, Facebook friends. I remember earlier on, I used to see crazy videos like that, like beheadings from the cartel or, mm-hmm. or somebody getting like killed in a freak accident or something like that. And I haven't seen any of that at all. And I always wonder how have they been like making sure that's not going on? Cause I'm pretty sure it is going on, but it makes sense. They have people around the world that has to go through this type of trauma on seeing these type of things to prevent them from being on social media. And they're getting paid nothing really. They're just getting paid low wages just so they can keep it all monetized. But Facebook is a billion-dollar business, for instance. It's billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Aren't they, like, almost as big as trillion in a way? Like, uh, know they're, how much. they're huge. Yeah. They're absolutely huge. So they can pay these people salaries that mm-hmm. can and, – and give them actual emotional support. But, you know, the contracting thing, that makes a lot of sense. They have an outside contractor to worry about that. So if anybody comes at them and like, oh, why don't you do this? They're like, well – they are actually not a part of us. They are a part of the contractor that we hire ourselves. <laughs> they can do they can do the same thing that Apple does whenever there are you know concerns about the labor conditions in factories that make Apple products in China, for example. Apple can say, "Oh, we hold our suppliers to the highest standards," mm. um, but they don't actually do anything about it. That's crazy! Wow, that's amazing. That's really interesting. It, 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 I don't even know why I never even thought that that was possible. I'm sitting here thinking like, oh, it's just a computer algorithm that some smart guy came up with and they're just uh, tailing everybody that has been banned before and, and then you get in trouble with that way. Wow. That just is mind blown. <laughs> and, and you're like, these people probably don't even want to ban some of this stuff. They just do it because it's their job to do it. Right. So are they being monitored? Yeah, I mean, they have, you know, their their bosses will check their work. And if it's, you know, whether or not they agree personally, if they're not, you know, doing it by the rules that Facebook has set up, then they're going to get in trouble for it or possibly even fired. Mm, mm, mm. Wow. Okay. (laughs) That's pretty that's pretty uh, interesting, you know, just hearing about how these things are set up like that. there's so much more I could talk to you about, but because of the sake of time, um, I'm going to have to actually come back on here one day it's, it, with Ray as well. I need Ray. <laughs> Any time you want to come back. This has been great. This has been, you know, really fantastic. Yes, yes. Um, plugins. How can people reach out to you, hire you to, for security if need be and stuff like that? Is it if it just this website right here, techforthepeople.org? You can go to techforthepeople.org. You can find my personal Twitter account. It's just CMG on Twitter. Uh, Or you can email me, chris at chrisgaratha.com. And I think my my name is on that little box under my my picture there. So just chris at chrisgaratha.com. You can get in touch with me any of those ways. Um, You know, those are all great ways to hit me up. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I definitely, I write and publish regularly, uh, you know, audio and uh, text for techforthepeople.org. Oh, okay. Okay. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much. Um, this is a really great informative episode. I can't, um, definitely can't wait to drop this right here. Looking um, forward to it. 
literally my, my my mind is kind of blown with that whole algorithm thing but <laughs> um i wanted i want you to have a really good day enjoy your monday whatever you're going to be doing out there and um see you later talk to you later all right take care jamar thank you effectively transforming community peace in our human family volume unity divine light shining individually collectively transforming community peace in our human family As above, so below, feel the pain in my soul, the red pill dissolved. Organized, no matter the cost. Politicians start wars, they don't fight, they sit in the poor. And nothing lasts forever as long as we stay together. Give hell to the masses, watch the unity rapture. This is for the kids and the culture. It's 